Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of The Idiot Book Nook. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. My name is The Reading Dragon, my pronouns are she, her. Oh, I'm Lady Punnett. And your pronouns? Currently, they are she, her. Cool. Love but it. But that is susceptible to change. Awesome. Sometimes, sometimes, Lady Punnett goes by they, them. Yes. Cool. So, uh, we are looking into Chapter 9 of The Amulet of Samarkand, the first book of the Bartimaeus Trilogy. And... If you'd like to follow us on social media and get updates when our new episodes come out, you are more than welcome to do so. If you would like to follow us individually and find out what all of our projects are on the net, you are more than welcome to do that as well. Lady Punnett you can find at linktr.ee slash paulina.avalon. The Reading Dragon you can find at linktr.ee slash the Reading Dragon. And myself you can find at linktr.ee slash blazewing2010. If you would like to take a look at our podcast feed and or leave us a voice message, you are more than welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook and our website can be found at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. So as we move forward with chapter nine, I, I get the feeling that we're still starting to be set up with this story. We're not quite past the setup stage, but I'm curious to see where things go. So... Gotta get all that backstory shit in there. Absolutely. Narrator, if you would please, chapter 9 of The Amulet of Samarkand. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book 1, The Amulet of Samarkand, by Jonathan Stroud. Narrated by The Reading Dragon, voice acted by Blaze Wayne 2010 and Lady Punnett. Chapter 9. Between the ages of six and eight, Nathaniel visited his master only once a week. These occasions, on Friday afternoons, were subjects of great ritual. After lunch, Nathaniel had to go upstairs to wash and change his shirt. Then, at precisely 2.30, he presented himself at the door of his master's reading room on the first floor. He would knock three times, at, at which a voice would call him to enter. I'm sorry, but I just I just picture the whole Sheldon Cooper thing. Underwood. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, you wouldn't that's be the wrong. First, that's the first thing I thought of. I love it. Oh, God damn it! Now I'm gonna be thinking of Sheldon Cooper whenever I, whenever I like read on Nathaniel. Mm. Fuck! <laughs> oh my god. Okay, <clears throat> moving on. His master reclined in a wicker chair in front of a window overlooking the street. His face was often in shadow. Light from the window spilled around him in a nebulous haze. As Nathaniel entered, a long, thin hand would gesture toward the cushions piled high on the oriental couch on the opposite wall. Nathaniel would take a cushion and place it on the floor. Then he sat, heart pounding, straining to catch every nuance of his master's voice. 
terrified of missing a thing. In the early years, the magician, the magician usually contented himself with questioning the boy about his studies, inviting him to discuss vectors, algebra, or the principles of probability, asking him to describe briefly the history of Prague, or recount in French the key events of the Crusades. The replies satisfied him almost always. Nathaniel was a very quick learner. On rare occasions, the master would motion the boy to be silent in the middle of an answer and would himself speak about the objectives and limitations of magic. A magician, he said, is a wielder of power. A magician exerts his will and affects change. He can do it from selfish motives or virtuous ones. The results of his actions can be good or evil, but, only, but the only bad magician is an incompetent one. What is the definition of incompetence, boy? Nathaniel twitched on his cushion. Loss of control? Correct. Providing the magician, uh, providing the magician remains in control of the forces he has set to work, he remains... Uh, what does he remain? Nathaniel rocked back and forth. Uh, the three S's, boy. The three S's. Use your head. Safe, secret... Strong, sir. Correct. What is the great secret? Spirits, sir. Demons, boy. Call them what they are. What must one never forget? Demons are very wicked and will hurt you if they can, sir. His voice shook as he said this. Good, good. What an excellent memory you have, to be sure. Be careful how you pronounce your words. I fancy your tongue tripped over itself there. Mispronouncing a syllable at the wrong time may give a demon just the opportunity it has been seeking. Yes, sir. So, demons are the great secret. Common people know of their existence, and know that we can commune with them. That is why they fear us so. But that they do not realize the full truth, which is that all our power derives from demons. Without their aid, we are nothing but cheap conjurers and charlatans. Our single great ability is to summon them and bend them to our will. If we do it correctly, they must obey us. If we make but the slightest error, they fall upon us and tear us to shreds. It's a fine line we that we walk, boy. How old are you now? Eight, sir. Nine next week. Nine? Good. The next week, we shall start your magical studies proper. Mr. Purcell is, is busy giving you sufficient grounding in the basic knowledge. Henceforward, we shall meet twice weekly, and I shall start introducing you to the central tenets of our order. However, for today, we shall finish with your reciting the Hebrew alphabet and its first dozen numbers. Proceed. Under the eyes of his master and his tutors, Nathaniel's education progressed rapidly. He delighted in reporting his daily achievements to Mrs. Underwood and basking in the warmth of her praise. In the evenings, he would gaze out of his window toward the distant yellow glow that marked the tower of the Parliament buildings and dream of the day when he would be there as a magician, as one of the ministers of the noble government. Two days after his ninth birthday, his master appeared in the kitchen while he was eating breakfast. Leave that and come with me, the magician said. Nathaniel followed him along the hall and into the room that served as his master's library. Mr. Underwood 
stood next to a broad bookcase filled with volumes of every size and color, ranging from heavy leather-bound lexicons of great antiquity to battered yellow paperbacks with mystic signs scrawled on the spines. This is your reading matter for the next three years. His master said, tapping on the top of the case. But, mm, tapping the top of the case. By the time you're twelve, you must have familiarized yourself with everything it contains. The books are written in Middle English, Latin, Czech, and Hebrew for the most part, although you'll find some Coptic works on the Egyptian rituals of the dead, too. There's a Coptic dictionary to help you with those. It's up to you to read through all of this. I haven't time to call to you. Mr. Purcell will keep your languages up to speed. Understand? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, sir? What, boy? When I've read through all this, sir, will I know everything I need? To be a magician, I mean, sir. It seems such an awful lot. His master snorted. His eyebrows ascended to the skies. Look behind you. He said. Nathaniel turned. Behind the door was a bookcase that climbed from floor to ceiling. It overflowed with hundreds of books, each one fatter and more dusty than the last. The sort of books that, one could tell without even opening them, were printed in minute script in double columns on every page. Nathaniel gave a small gulp. Work your way through that lot, his master said dryly. And you might be getting somewhere. That case contains the rites and incantations you'd need to summon significant demons, and you won't even begin to use them until you're in your teens, so cast it out of your mind. Your case... He tapped the wood again. ...gives you the pre uh, preparatory knowledge and is more than enough for the moment. Right, follow me. They proceeded to a workroom that Nathaniel had never visited before. A large number of bottles and vials clustered there on stained and dirty shelves, filled with liquids of varying color. Some of the bottles had floating objects in them. Nathaniel couldn't tell whether it was the thick, curved glass of the bottles that made the objects look so distorted and strange. His master sat on a stool at a simple wooden work table and indicated for Nathaniel to sit alongside him. He pushed a narrow box across the table. Nathaniel opened it. Inside was a small pair of spectacles. A distant memory made him shudder sharply. Well, take them out, boy. They won't bite you. Right. Now, look at me. Look at my eyes. What do you see? Unwillingly, Nathaniel looked. He found it very difficult to peer into the fierce, fiery brown eyes of the old man, and as a result, his brain froze. He saw nothing. Well? Um, um, I'm sorry, I don't... Look around my irises. See anything there? Um, oh, you dolt! His master gave a cry of frustration and pulled the skin below one eye down, revealing its red underbelly. Can't you see it? A lens, boy. A contact lens. Around the middle of my eye. See it? Desperately, Nathaniel looked again. And this time, he did see a faint circular rim, thin as a pencil line around the iris, sealing it in. Yes, sir. 
he said eagerly. Yes, I see it. About time. Right. His master sat back on the stool. When you are twelve years old, two important things will happen. First, you'll be given a new name, which you shall take as your own. Why? To prevent demons getting power over me by discovering my birth name, sir. Correct. Enemy magicians are equally perilous, of course. Secondly, you will get your first pair of lenses, which you can wear at all times. They will allow you to see through the little trickery of demons. Until that time, you will use these glasses, but only when instructed to, and on no account are they to be removed from this workroom. Understand? Yes, sir. How do they help see through things, sir? When demons materialize, they can adopt all manner of false shapes, not just in this material realm, but in other planes of perception, too. I shall teach you of these planes anon, but do not question me on but do not question me on them now. Some demons of higher sort can become invis invisible. There is no end to the wickedness of their deceptions. The lenses, and to a lesser extent the glasses, allow you to look on several planes at once, giving you a chance to see through their illusions. Observe. Nathaniel's master reached over to a crowded shelf behind him and selected a large glass bottle that was sealed with cork and wax. It contained a greenish, briny liquid and a, dread, and a dead rat, all brownish bristles and pale flesh. Nathaniel made a face. His master considered him. What would you say this was, boy? He asked. A rat, sir. What kind? A brown one. Ratus Norve uh, Norvegicus. Uh, sorry, Ratus Norvegicus, sir. Good. Latin tag, too, eh? Very good. Completely wrong, but good, nevertheless. It isn't a rat at all. Put on your glasses and look again. Nathaniel did as he was told. The spectacles felt cold and heavy on his nose. He peered through the firmly pebble... Mm. He peered through the filmy pebble glass, taking a moment or two to focus. When the bottle swam into view, he gasped. The rat was gone. In its place was a small black and red creature with a spongy face, beetle's wings, and a concertina-shaped underside. Did I say that right, concertina? Works for I think me. so. Okay. And a concertina-shaped underside. The creature's eyes were open and bore an aggrieved expression. Nathaniel took the spectacles off and looked again. The brown rat floated in the pickling fluid. Gosh, he said. His master grunted. A scarlet vexation, caught and bottled by the Medical Institute of Lincoln's Inn. A minor imp, but a notable spreader of pestilence. It can only create the illusion of the rat on the material plane. On the others, its true essence is revealed. Is it dead, sir? Nathaniel asked. Hmm? Dead? Uh, I should think not. I, I should think so. If not, it'll certainly be angry. It's been in that jar for at least 50 years. I inherited it from my old master. Ew. Gross. He returned the bottle to the shelf. You see, boy. He went on. Even the least powerful demons are vicious, dangerous, and evasive. One cannot withdraw one's guard for a moment. Observe this. From behind a Bunsen burner, he drew a rectangular glass box that seemed to have no lid. Six minute creatures buzzed within it, ceaselessly 
butting against the walls of their prison. From a distance, they seemed like insects. As he drew closer, Nathaniel observed that they had rather too many legs for this to be so. These mites, his master said, are probably the lowest form of demon. Scarcely any intelligence to speak of. You do not require your spectacles to see their true form. Yet even these are a menace unless properly controlled. Notice those orange stings beneath their tails? They create exquisitely painful swellings on the victim's body, far worse than bees or hornets. An admirable method of chastising someone, be it annoying, uh, be it annoying rival or <laughs> disobedient pupil. You bitch. Nathaniel watched the furious little mites butting their heads against the glass. He nodded vigorously. Yes, sir. Vicious little things. His master pushed the box away. Yet all they need are the proper words of command and they will obey any instruction. They thus demonstrate, on the smallest scale, the principles of our craft. We have dangerous tools that we must control. We should now begin learning how to protect ourselves. Nathaniel soon found that it would be a long time before he was allowed to wield the tools himself. He had lessons with his master in the workroom twice a week, and for months he did nothing except take notes. He was taught the principles of pentacles and the art of runes. He learned the appropriate rites of purification that magicians had to observe before summoning could take place. He was set to work with mortar and pestle, to pound out mixtures of incense that would encourage demons or keep unwanted ones away. He cut candles into various sizes and arranged them in a host of different patterns, and not once did his master summon anything. Impatient for progress, in his spare time, Nathaniel devoured the books in the library case. He impressed Mr. Purcell, with his omnivorous appetite for knowledge. He worked with great vigor in Miss Lutien's drawings lessons, <clears throat> in Miss Lutien's drawing lessons, applying his skill to the pentacles he now traced under the beady eye of his master. And all this time, the, pen the spectacles gathered dust on the workroom shelf. Miss Lutien's was the only person to whom he confided his frustrations. Patience, she told him. Patience is the prime virtue. If you hurry, you will fail, and failure is painful. You must always relax and concentrate on the task at hand. Now, if you're ready, I want you to sketch that again, but this time with a blindfold. Six months into his training, Nathaniel observed a summoning for the first time. To his deep annoyance, he took no active part. His master drew the, pe drew the pentacles, including a secondary one for Nathaniel to stand in. Nathaniel was not even allowed to light the candles, and, what was worse, he was told to leave the spectacles behind. How will I see anything? He asked, rather more pettishly than was his habit with his master. A narrow-eyed stare instantly reduced him to silence. The summoning began as a deep disappointment. After the incantations, which Nathaniel was pleased to find he largely understood, 
Nothing seemed to happen. A slight breeze blew through the workroom. Otherwise, all was still. The empty pentacle stayed empty. His master stood close by, eyes shut, seemingly asleep. Nathaniel grew very bored. His legs began to ache. Evidently, this particular demon had decided not to come. All at once, he noticed with horror that several of the candles in one corner of the room had toppled over. A pile of papers was alight, and the fire was spreading. Nathaniel gave a cry of alarm and stepped, Stay where you are! Nathaniel's heart nearly stopped in fright. He froze with one foot lifted. His master's eyes had opened and were gazing at him with an awful anger. With a voice of thunder, his master uttered the seven words of dismissal. The fire in the corner of the room vanished, the pile of papers with them. The candles were once again upright and burning quietly. Nathaniel's heart quailed in his breast. Step outside of the circle, would you? Never had he heard his master's voice so scathing. I told you that some remain invisible. They are masters of illusion and know a thousand ways to distract and tempt you. One step more and you'd have been on fire yourself. Think of that while you go hungry tonight. Get up to your room! Further summonings were less distressing. Guided only by his ordinary senses, Nathaniel observed demons in a host of beguiling shapes. Some appeared as familiar animals, mewling cats, wide-eyed dogs, forlorn limping hamsters that Nathaniel ached to hold. Sweet little birds hopped and pecked at the margins of their, of their circles. Once, a shower of apple blossom cascaded from the air, filling the room with a heady scent that made him drowsy. He learned to withstand inducements of all kinds. Some invisible spirits assailed him with foul smells that made him wretch. Others charmed him with perfume that reminded him of Miss Lutien's or Miss Underwood's. Some attempted to frighten him with hideous sounds, with squelchy rendings, whisperings, and gibbering cries. He heard strange voices calling out beseechingly, first high-pitched, then plummeting deeper and deeper, until they rang like a funeral bell. He closed his mind to all these things, and never came close to leaving the circle. A year passed before Nathaniel was allowed to wear his spectacles during each summoning. Now he could observe many of the demons as they really were. Others, slightly more powerful ones, maintained their illusions even on the other observable planes. To all these disorienting shifts in perception, Nathaniel acclimatized. Yeah. Nathaniel acclimatized. Mm. Nathaniel acclimatized calmly and confidently. His lessons were progressing well. His self-possession, likewise. He grew harder, more resilient, more determined to progress. He spent all his spare waking hours pouring through new manuscripts. His master was satisfied 
with his pupil's progress. And Nathaniel, despite his impatience with the pace of his education, was delighted with what he learned. It was a productive relationship, if not a close one, and might well have continued to be so, but for the terrible incident, but for the terrible incident that occurred in the summer before Nathaniel's 11th birthday. And thus ends chapter nine. Uh, so, Tyrant, first of all, welcome on in. Congratulations on the job. Super happy for you. Starting Yay! at 15, 15 an hour, goes up to 17 an hour when you get your armed certification. Congratulations. Yay! That's huge. Super proud of you for that. Yay. So, not a lot of speaking roles for Lady Punnett in this chapter. If you would prefer, to it happens. If you would prefer to take on a role that I have previously uh, taken on in another chapter, you are more than welcome. To. <laughs> mm -hmm. It happens. It's okay. 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 So, what do we have for notes for this chapter? Okay. So, first note. Um, apparently, according to Nathaniel, demons can decide not to come when summoned. Yep. Depending I did on not the think. I didn't think that'd be a thing. Uh, I think that might depend on the power of the demon. Because that makes sense to me. I would assume it would probably depend uh, specifically on the power of the demon and whether or not they are powerful enough to literally be able to make that choice. I would assume that, you know, some of the less powerful ones probably can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the higher ones, like, say, an archdemon or something, could probably turn and say, you're not even worth my fucking time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. On that same line of logic, it would also be determined as to how powerful the summoner is, the magician is. Because there could be, like you said previously, an archdemon trying to ignore it. However, depending on the strength and willpower of the magician, it might force a pulling of said archdemon which makes me wonder where bartimaeus lies in all of this i mean in previous chapters it has been hinted that he is a trickster type demon yep but that doesn't mm -hmm. tell us what kind of demon he is like how powerful he is right he could be a Here. trickster demon he could be anything from a uh, like a fox or a kitsune to to a goblin to a goblin or even loki well, he has made reference to a lot of uh, Egyptian to possibly, if I'm correct, slight Middle Eastern mm -hmm. um, areas to where he's been before and, so, and done shit before. Yep. We also don't know what the lifespan of demons is. If they even have a lifespan. Correct. And then we, with that, uh, with that line of uh, topic... That would bring us to how timelines and how time works in the other realms mm -hmm. and on the other planes. Yep. Much like in Dungeons and Dragons, how time runs differently between the material plane, the Feywilds, the um, Nine Hells, and the Celestial plane. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. What else we got? Mm -hmm. Um... So, there is definitely mention of uh, what happened to Nathaniel when he first came across demons with the spectacles. Mm -hmm. There was that 
bit of PTSD moment there. This is after that mm -hmm. because it mentions yeah. that he has that memory ingrained into him, but he can't mm -hmm. quite remember, which it's been a while since that point, obviously. Yeah, I think when that happened, he was six years old when that happened. Yeah. And he is about 10 years old when this chapter ends. So they are going kind of chronologically with uh, with Nathaniel's backstory, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. So basically what we have read so far in these chapters is basically the, the very beginning is like current timeline, what have you. Mm -hmm. But these chapters leading up to the one that we just finished is everything that has led up to current. Mm -hmm. Tyrion Phoenix I, says, I th I'd think it would depend on the demon like the Nephilim who were intermingled with humans had limited lifespans, but if they were pure demonic, they'd be eternal until otherwise subdued. It all depends on what kind of environment this author has built. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Lady Punnett, you were going to say something. Well, I was... I was wondering how Mrs. Underwood would have reacted to the whole thing that happened to uh, Nathaniel after the whole, like, bunch of little imps attacking Nathaniel. And I wonder if she wasn't in the room, because I don't think he would have been quiet through that. So, I have a thought now that you bring it up. You guys remember how in this chapter, after that whole first encounter for the summoning and whatnot, they were less traumatic, less intense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What what would it be if Mrs. Underwood did somehow hear about those two instances in particular and scolded the ever-loving shit out of Mr. Underwood? I just want to branch out here for a moment. Just kind of mm -hmm. bounce off of that. Because I had a thought. Mm. Up until now, we've been given the impression that Mrs. Underwood is, well, human. Mm -hmm. But it's also been made apparent that demons can take whatever form they want, up to and including the form of humans. Mm -hmm. Are you saying he married a demon? Potentially. A nice demon? I mean, demons uh, can be um, nice uh, if they chose. What he could either be under, he, he could either be under uh, under Underwood's control, like uh, following his orders, or could be a non-malevolent demon. We've seen nothing that says demons have to be, you know, demons have evil. to be evil. I mean, we've already seen that from Bartimaeus in the beginning Bartimaeus when he was literally wiped out a bunch of kids and chose not to. Mm -hmm. And when Bartimaeus was originally given his task by Nathaniel, he literally tried to get Nathaniel to reconsider that task because he knew how dangerous it was. And even though he just met that, he just met the kid, he was like, dude, you're going to kill yourself. Do you want to rethink this? So the kid in the beginning of the book was Nathaniel, correct? Yes. That's the implication we're getting. The guy that had the amulet was Underwood. Which means Nathaniel is stealing the amulet from his former master at some point. Or his still current master and he's having to go elsewhere to do his shit. We've sh we we've, we're being shown that, we're being told that he's impatient. But he's stealing mm -hmm. the amulet from his master. And he's not living Un with his master anymore. Which makes me wonder... Well, what happened? 
Sorry, go ahead. It sorry. Um, in the beginning of the book, he was summoned in the room that Nathaniel has been growing up in. So, but it, it's uh, also shown that Bartimaeus went to another house to steal the amulet. So, what if he yeah. replicated his room somehow? I want to know what happened to cause that split. I want to know why they were drawn apart. I want to know what either Nathaniel or Underwood did in order to cause that rift. Because there's something here that we're not seeing. I I think I know. I think I know. What? Because, so, didn't we see Underwood in the chapter? He was like, had a little imp on his shoulder? Mm-hmm. Right? He had some, like, little blonde hussy mm-hmm. all up against him. I don't think that was his wife. I think something happened to Underwood's wife, who we know Nathaniel has this, like, devotion to, who he is more, he is more devoted to Mrs. Underwood than his master. That's interesting Mm -hmm. because in the first few chapters, we get no mention of Mrs. Underwood whatsoever, which means she has effectively been removed from the picture. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. they are stressing this connection that he has not only with Mrs. Underwood, but um, his art teacher as well. Miss Lutien's, yeah. I'm wondering if maybe there was an accident or something. Maybe an accident or possibly even, like, something happened or... Theory. It could have been something as easy as, like, oh, you are no longer my student. You do not have a connection to this family. Be gone. We still also don't know what this amulet does we know it's powerful but we don't and we know it shines like a beacon on all planes but we don't know what it does so i'm wondering if okay so two-pronged theory here the first Mm -hmm. prong is that mrs underwood is dead and he needs the amulet to resurrect her two mrs underwood is being held captive and he needs the amulet to rescue her But you would think his, noticed, her husband would try and fix that. I'm noticing the look. No, I'm noticing that reading dragon here is like oddly quiet. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna find Spoilers. we're gonna find out where things go. I think I, I, I'm excited to find out where things go. But yeah, two pronged theory: one, she's either dead and he needs it to resurrect her, or two, she's been captured and he needs it to rescue her. Or you two will just experience an M. Night Shyamalan-style plot twist. But M. Night Shyamalan plot twists aren't always that good. And you can't necessarily... The thing is, you cannot predict them because they the plot twists usually have nothing to do with the story that's been told thus far. Mm-hmm. It is, M. Night Shyamalan plot twists are famous for being unpredictable. I guess we'll find out, won't we? Okay, uh, one other thing I would like to point out. So we did discuss how she probably did... I don't know if she could rip him a new one because he could try using the logic like he needs to understand mm-hmm. how dangerous demons can be. To which I picture she would say, well, you don't just do that to kids. Yeah, no. With Mrs. Underwood, from what we've read of her so far, she won't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the amulet can be used to control another human. Maybe. 
I'm going to be stuck on that for a while. Anyways, do we have anything else that we want to talk about with this book? Or with um, this chapter? Nothing I can think of. Simply because we got a lot of, like, bits and pieces of information. We got a bit more about Underwood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so far, all we know for sure is that he they started to get along more. They were at least cordial with one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He still preferred his teacher because he's, it stated, like, she was the only one he felt comfortable expressing his frustrations to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that... You know, Mrs. Underwood wasn't mentioned much in this chapter, either. Mm -mm. It was focusing more on uh, Nathaniel's um, kind of... Um, what's that term I'm looking for? It's Mentor. When, well, it's more focusing uh, surrounding what uh, sparked his passion for learning everything there is to learn about summoning about the runes the sigils and whatnot like he got a hyper fixation on this particular subject mm -hmm. the amulet we used to create the image feel and otherwise life force of an entire human being i mean it's a possibility because at that point the amulet could be used to project mrs underwood maybe she never actually existed in the first place I guess we'll have to find out. I don't know about that. Because <laughs> cause here's the thing. He doesn't seem like the kind of person that would make an image of a wife just to cater to a child. What if he wanted the house to feel more homey? Wanted the child to feel more comfortable? Wanted the child to feel like he wasn't completely alone and abandoned? Mm. Which would create a lot of resentment and feelings once that whole issue is revealed. There wasn't mm. much mention of the wife just before he got the letter to begin with, either. Yeah. Like, in the chapter where he, where it talks about him. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe it's, she, a, I'm thinking it's a conjuring, it, 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 it was a conjuring to make the kid feel more at home. Hmm. Less a wife, more a caretaker. Or, perhaps the amulet actually controls a demon, and the demon was honor-bound to take on the form of Mrs. Underwood. Because we know he's had demons in his service for years on end. That's not unheard of from what we know thus far. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm gonna be going down this rabbit hole for a while. Fuck. <laughs> you and Grim. <sighs> you and Grim are not so different. No, we're not. We just have different things that kind of spur us onwards. He, him, it's D&D. &D. With me, it's books. <laughs> oh god and i love grim's rants yep about about the campaign so that being said are we good to leave this chapter here because i think we've also got two more chapters to get through today i, I think, think so yeah so, yes. cool. so that brings us to the end of chapter nine of the amulet of samarkand the first book in the bartimaeus trilogy want to thank you very much for joining us for this chapter and episode 25 of the Idiot Book Nook. If you'd like to reach us on social media, you can reach uh, Lady Punnett at uh, lanktr.ee slash paulina 
Avalon. You can reach The Reading Dragon at lanktr.ee slash The Reading Dragon. And you can reach myself at lanktr.ee slash blazewing2010. If you would like to take a look at our podcast feed and or leave us a voicemail message, you are more than welcome to at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook. And our website, if you would like to check that out, can be found at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. With that being said, for the Idiot Book Nook, episode 25 and chapter 9 of the Amulet of Samarkand, my name is Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Planet. And we will see you guys with episode 26.